Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, October 27th, we are studying 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8-15. through 15. St. Paul gives instructions to Timothy concerning how Christian men and women serve faithfully in their God-given vocations within the Christian congregation. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Harrison Goodman. Pastor Goodman serves at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Goodman, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be with you for this completely uncontroversial piece of Holy Scripture. (laughs) Before we get to the controversy, Pastor Goodman, let's talk a little bit of context. What has Paul been saying to Timothy so far that leads up to what we get today? Right. This is an epistle that is all about the office of the Holy Ministry. Um, even as uh, Paul introduces the letter to Timothy, he talks about himself inside of the office and then Timothy inside of the office. Uh, the beginning of chapter two, uh, again, he, he starts to, to express um, what, what uh, those in the office of, of the Holy Ministry are to do, that they are to pray for all people. As we uh, finish uh, chapter two, we'll, we'll actually start to get into the qualifications for overseers. This a lot of pastor stuff. So a lot of pastor stuff, and and maybe you know with with the teaser we've already given, you you said that this is a not a controversial text at all. <laughs> why why do you give that kind of an introduction to First Timothy two verses eight through fifteen? Uh, because we live in a fallen world, and this this text actually deals with uh, the the place of, of women inside of the church. Uh, and ever since the fall, uh, men and women have uh, had desires that are set against one another. Uh, and so especially when we, we talk about words like authority and uh, especially as authority is often confused and, and mislabeled as power, we, we see a lot of um, we see a lot of working against one another instead of trying to serve one another. Uh, Paul, as he writes to Timothy, uh, especially in this text, outlines not, not only in the beginning, um, again, how men are to operate in the church, but then goes into to the, the place where women are to be served by their church uh, and how, uh, and especially in this day and age. Uh, this has been a, a text that has, has seen no small amount of uh, nitpicking is maybe a kind way of approaching it, uh, if not just sort of an, an out and out abandonment of the, the clear word of God. So we're going to have to deal with uh, women's ordination, which is a controversial subject. So let's let's see what Paul does with this. Let's listen to the text and let the text tell us what we should believe as Christians. 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 15. Paul writes, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. That is 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 15. So verse 8, I don't think is terribly controversial. We probably skip over this passage sometimes, verse 8, to get to the more controversial verses that we read. But we need to start with verse 8. Paul says, I desire that in every place the men should pray. Who are the men that he's talking about here, Pastor Goodman? Right. And you have that that definite article, the men, not even just men in general, but but specific men, namely uh, pastors. Uh, the, this is still, as it was in the, the beginning of the chapter, was in the first chapter, this is about clergy. Uh, clergy are to pray. And that doesn't mean that the lay people should not pray. Uh, but but this is then expressly talking about uh, what the church looks like as it uh, begins to, to be gathered in all nations. Uh, as uh, as after Pentecost, the, the church was was sent uh, throughout, uh, not not just sort of the small nation of Israel, but, but into all of the world uh, to, to 
teach, to preach, to baptize. In all of these places, this is what the clergy uh, are, are to do. They are to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. And even inside of this, this desire to, to, to see prayer without anger or quarreling, uh, we, we already start to see the scene being set for how we are to approach the rest of this text. Uh, when we, when we talk about the, the, the sins of the heart, the anger and the quarreling uh, a, as are tied to the lifting up of holy hands, which is something that was done uh, throughout the priesthood in the Old Testament, uh, you see, uh, I think everybody remembers the story of Moses holding up his hands, uh, and while his hands were, were in the air, uh, the, the army of Israel did well, and as they, they began to, to droop and his exhaustion, uh, the, army, the army did poorly, uh, that, that there was actually something to be, be said in the posture of the priesthood, which is also why we, for example, uh, we, we hold our hands up as we give the benediction. Uh, to, before our people, uh, as as the the clergy lift up holy hands without anger or quarreling, uh, we can also start to to realize where this is directed. Uh, that the anger and quarreling isn't necessarily just uh, against each other, but toward God. Uh, a, a different translation of this might even be um, w- without debating or or doubting toward God, that this anger or quarreling, uh, that this desire to, to sort of snatch scripture away from God's hands and make it into something else or, or, or just out and out reject it. Uh, what we have is that the, the sins of the heart flow out through our outward posture. And so too do the good works of the heart flow out through our, our outward posture. Uh, go all the way back to, to Cain and Abel. As his heart uh, was set against his brother, his hands and a rock, soon followed. Uh, And in the same way, where our hearts are rightly set toward God, we can actually view the scriptures as a gift and and not something to argue against or or to to escape from. Uh, If we're going to deal with uh, verse 9, it would be imperative, uh, first and foremost for us, especially as clergy, to see the scriptures as a gift, that we would teach them as a gift, uh, that that we would look at them as if if God in uh, in his goodness is giving us something to, to receive uh, as if it were a good thing, that, that we would lift up our hands and pray toward a God that we actually fear, love, and trust in above all things. This, this has to flow from the heart. Uh, and it has to flow from the heart because it is from the heart uh, that, that we can actually cling to God in faith. It is from the heart that would look not then to the works of the hands and in works righteousness, but to the, the justification given freely by Christ who was crucified for us, that, that I might actually no longer feel the need to struggle against God, to 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 war against God, to to quarrel against God. So, Pastor Goodman, this is the second text in a row where Paul has brought up praying right at the beginning. We heard this at the beginning of chapter two. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, and here he says the the men, the clergy should pray. What what is it about prayer that's so important for Saint Paul that he mentions it twice here in this chapter? Uh, this is this is the way that we would actually receive God's word and, and um, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it, that, that we might uh, give it back to him. This is where we can actually take God's word and then receive his promises and hold them as, as valuable. Uh, and we even see this uh, inside of the Psalter and also in, in uh, Israel uh, as uh, under Moses, they, they, they left uh, Egypt and, and wandered in the wilderness. There, there were two things there that were we have psalms of lament, but we also have the people grumbling against God in, in the wilderness. And the psalms of lament are, for some reason, a good thing, but but the grumbling against God is is, is not. Prayer here is, is actually the, the the key distinction. The the lament is to God. The grumbling is is against Him. Uh, to lament to God, insist that God is good because His Word told us so, and it's to to be frustrated to look around and not see God's promise is being enacted in the world around us. And so we, we lament and we say, God, you are good. Uh, help us as you have promised to do. To grumble against God it is to not pray, but, but to, to simply uh, be set against God and say, I look around this world and I see no good. So I will insist that God is not either. When we pray as we have been taught, our Father who art in heaven, we start with the right mindset toward God, which we are first given from his word. So that out of our hearts, uh, even as we, we meditate upon God's word, we might find comfort. And comfort is everything right now. So God gives his word. We pray it back to him with without anger or quarreling, not just, and I appreciate that, not just against our neighbor, but this is my relationship, how I relate to God, that, that I'm not angry at him. I'm not doubting him, but I'm receiving his word 
as a gift and I'm praying it back to him, even as the clergy, I mean, the previous verse, Paul says, I was appointed a preacher. So there's a, a proclamation going on in the, in the office of the ministry as well. But the, the prayer that, that I'm engaged in as a pastor means that I've got that, that trust of God in my heart that in, it affects the posture of my hands even. So the, the heart influences my hands. And then, so Paul, Paul lays that out very nicely in verse eight. And then he starts talking about women, the women. So here we've got the clergy, and then verse 9, he turns to women, and he really spends the rest of this text on that matter. And this is maybe where things start to get, well, I don't know if verse 9 is terribly controversial yet, but they start to maybe get a bit uncomfortable for us in, in our world today. So let's let's go there, Pastor Goodman. Take us into verse 9 and the, in the adornment that Paul talks about for women. Right. And this is either the, the place where we start to, to see um, everything become more uncomfortable or where we start to see God setting the stage for how we are to view women as, as a good gift from God, uh, as men, uh, so that, that as we, we relate to them and they relate back to us as Adam was created first and Eve second, it, it might not be uh, such a back and forth thing. We, we see uh, that women should adorn themselves with respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control. And it doesn't take long, especially when you when you uh, even just start out in youth group, uh, where the, the kids start getting lectures about what it is to dress modestly in church, especially in a world that has abandoned a word uh, so completely, mm-hmm. uh, where, where uh, apparel has, has gotten to, to be um, so just uh, explicit. And there, there are discussions over how, uh, for some reason, only women ought to dress modestly in church and not men. Although I, I guess too, too much leg hair out of your cargo shorts doesn't necessarily attract a lot of people. Um, in the same way, though, uh, there, there, this, this is a text that can be abused. Uh, and I think this is where, again, we, we either start to see this as something to get uncomfortable with and push back on because it has been abused, or where we can maybe start to see women as, as, as uh, a, a a crown of creation that that should be upheld. Uh, Modesty, namely, um, women should be more than body parts to men. When we we talk about what it is to have a woman dress modestly in church, uh, too often, I I think this text can be abused to say that uh, men are simply beasts who who are are not to to strive towards uh, meat and right thought toward their neighbor. Uh, Men are... are, are, um, utterly incapable of, of trying to resist temptation. Uh, and so simply women are told, you must dress modestly in church for the sake of men. Um, I think there's a place where we can actually teach women to dress modestly for the sake of themselves, especially in a world that is so quick to belittle women uh, by making them explicitly sexual, by, by limiting them to their body parts. Uh, to, to encourage women to dress modestly in church is not simply to say uh, we, we must uh, cease uh, to, to tempt men uh, who should also be warring against their flesh. But I think it's rather to, to start with a confession that women, you are more than the parts that others would lust after. Uh, you, you are of more value than the world would say as it would diminish you to, to one simple aspect of your flesh. Uh, when, when we start with this, we can then carry on into to not with braided hair and, and gold or pearls or, or costly attire, because braided hair and gold aren't sins. Uh, it, it's, a confession of, of, um, it, it's a confession of value. Uh, at, at its root is, is vanity, especially in that time. The, the women who, who showed up uh, to, to church in braided hair with, with express gold, uh, these, these were largely women who, who well, who earned their, their uh, financial gain in an unmodest way, in, in an unrighteous way. But, but even more so, as, as we talk about modesty today, we, we, we shouldn't just dismiss this out, out because cultures have changed and times have changed. Rather, we, we should say at, at the root of this talk of, of modesty in any culture is a question of vanity. Um, to, to, to talk about vanity is to talk about pride. It's to talk about the self. It's to talk about power. And so the women then who, who showed up immodestly by dressing in braided hair and gold at this time were, were the women who were leaning into the idea that men would only look at them according to their body parts. These were women who were using their bodies to find influence and power. And this is Paul simply saying, 
ladies, aim higher. Uh, you are of more value to us than, than simply as, as an object of, of lust. To, to aim after vanity is to aim after something that is worthless. Uh, here, even as we begin this, this isn't a place to start to, to have an uncomfortable conversation, but it's a place to start to express value. There is, there is more value to, to the gentler sex than, than simply this lust that, that we must uh, strive a- against. Um, and, and you can see it uh, in the way that the Lord would talk about dress uh, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, both as, as uh, well, I mean, if you're old enough, you could read the Song of Songs and, and, and see how uh, explicitly and, and beautifully uh, the, the bride is described. Uh, you can read Ephesians 5 if you're not old enough yet, and you can still see the, the, the bride appearing before the bridegroom uh, dressed beautifully without blemish or spot, holy. You can read Ezekiel and Isaiah and see uh, women being adorned with, with jewelry, um, but not out of vanity, but, but rather out of love and purity. Again, trying to, to increase the value, not diminish it by locating it specifically objects of, of lust. So someone who's reading verse nine today to, well, does verse nine have something to say to what a woman wears? Or is, I mean, because I, I hear you, I hear you talking a lot about vanity and pride and, and what's at the root, but is there still that, uh, I don't know, surface application, if I can say it that way? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we, we kneel when we receive the Lord's Supper uh, at my parish. Um, and if your, your knees are bad, we will let you stand because it doesn't stop being the body and blood of Jesus if you are yay high. Uh, but, but rather, it is an outward confession that would, that would help to shape an inward conscience. And in the same way, uh, yes, we, we call women to, to dress modestly in the church um, also as an outward confession that would shape an inward conscience because it would be good for, for women to remind themselves that they come to church uh, with, with value that is more precious than their outward appearance. Uh, modesty should still be upheld, uh, not not because um, you you earn anything by it, but because we live in a world that would constantly tell women you are only as valuable as your looks, and, and that's that's simply not how the Lord sees you, and it's not how men are called to see women either. Well, uh, the outward confession of an inward conscience, I think, is the way you you phrased it. Mm-hmm. And I, does that does that tie back then to the lifting up of the holy hands as well in verse eight? That you've got. I mean, it's a similar thing for the clergy in verse eight and the women in verse nine. That in in each case, you've got the outward confession of what's happening inside. Absolutely. And where the, the inward confession is wrong, it gets harder to do the outward confession. Uh, where, where the heart is set against God, it is harder to lift up hands uh, to holy hands. Where the heart is is um set towards vanity, it is harder to dress modestly because you feel like you are diminishing yourself by hiding something, as opposed to simply reminding yourself that there is more to you than, than those body parts. So Paul continues then in verse 10. He's, he said, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. He's talked about the modesty. He's given the, the negative, not with braided hair, gold, or pearls, these, these matters that would be vanity, that outward or the inward vanity that leads to the outward improper confession. Instead, he says, what is proper for women who profess godliness, it is good works. That is the proper adornment for women who profess godliness. Take us into verse 10. Right. And we have this word godliness, which especially in the Greek is a rare word. And it has to do with with uh, true worship or pure worship of God. It is of being a, a God-fearing. Uh, before we ever start to, to get to what women can't do in church, which is where everybody wants to fight in, in 2 Timothy, um, we actually start by what they what they ought to do. Uh, there, there actually is a good and godly role for women inside of the church. Uh, and what's wonderful is actually how little stipulation there is inside of it. Uh, when it comes to the office of the ministry, uh, P- Paul will spend no small amount of time uh, directing Timothy towards what is improper for, for um, clergy to be doing inside of the church. For, for women here, it just simply says, uh, be godly through your through your good works. This is, this is not hard, y'all. Uh, the, the proclamation then isn't one of public proclamation, isn't a public preaching, but of deed. That, that women uh, serve their church, not, not by, me- well, literally manning the pulpit, but instead of, of deed, as is tied to their vocation, which is also how men serve the church. Both men and women serve the church as tied to their separate vocations. What, what's wonderful here is that we actually get to see how much freedom the women have inside of the church to, to serve inside of their, their vocations. Uh, there, there are vocations that speak and, and vocations which receive, but to the vocations that speak, our words are bound in church. 
uh, you as a, as a pastor, me as a pastor, we have very specific things to say in church. And if, for example, I want to change the words of holy absolution, I, I would very much hope that I would be chased with, with sharp and pointy objects. Th- these are not my words to be playing with. Uh, those are not your words to be playing with. Your words are bound. You say, in the stead and by the command of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Only what he says. I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Their works, however, are free in the gospel. That, that as wives, as daughters, as mothers, uh, as, as citizens, as, as Christians, uh, they, they are free to serve God in, in many and various ways. It, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, not that they earn their salvation through their good works, but, but that this is actually then where they, they profess, they, they, well, they proclaim their godliness. Now, again, not with word, but with deed. It, it's wonderful. Uh, the the matter of freedom here is is really rather astounding that there is i mean good works well well goodness there's a ton of freedom there when it comes to the good works that god gives to do for the neighbor that and that i mean lest we lest we speak ill of the law that's where true freedom is true freedom is found within those good works that god gives us to do and and what freedom he does give to the women here. Pastor Goodman, one of the things is, is we've been talking and maybe worth a, a bit of attention is, you know, we've been talking about like, say the way men lift hands. And, and I think, at least in my mind, I, I'm picturing things happening within a church context, a worship yes. service context. And we've even been talking about, and we've said the same thing when it comes to the way the women dress. And, and yet here with good works, I mean, it seems like there's certainly that application to the, the quote, church context, but it goes wider than that too, I think. We wouldn't say that there would be, I mean, for example, that the only lifting of holy hands that's done by the clergy is within the context of a worship service. Just like I don't think we would say that the only the only time for a woman to dress modestly would be when she goes to church and otherwise, hey, whatever goes. So there's there's a bit of both going on here, right? Absolutely. Uh, but, but again, uh, that, that's a wonderful confession that what we do inside of the divine service isn't walled off from the rest of our lives. It isn't separate from our vocations, but it actually informs and shapes how we approach our vocation. Uh, the freedom that we have in the gospel lets us look at the law, not as a burden, but as a gift. Like, like you said, that, that it, there's true freedom found in the law only, only because I first received the gospel inside of the divine service. Otherwise, this is something I have to earn my salvation with. Uh, that the women can uh, uh, approach this modestly, meaning they don't have to earn their value by their appearance. It also means they don't have to earn their value by their good works. Instead, they can profess what they already are, godly. Hmm. We've got about uh, three minutes here before the break. Let's, let's start into verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, this, I think, is where things start to get uncomfortable. We've got the word submissive, which is, I mean, I'm going to get in trouble for saying that, right, Pastor Goodman? Take us into verse 11. Let's, let's start with Ephesians 5 to do this word submission, because you're right, this is the word that, that sort of raises the hackles. Um, so I, I want to grab Ephesians 5 uh, to, to do this, where, where we talk about let the, the wife submit to the husband as the church submits to Christ. This is about Christ and the church. And so this then can be a, a, a way that, that we can start to understand how husbands and wives, how men and women are to relate to one another. The church submits to Christ. Well, how'd that work for Jesus? Like, like honestly, um, if, if we start to talk about this, this idea of the genders uh, and submission, it, it, and it looks different than Christ sacrificing himself on the cross for his bride, the church, we're probably doing it wrong. Submission is not about power. Uh, su- submission is actually a- about protection. Uh, that the church submits to Christ, I can say, well, yes, I don't make the rules. Jesus makes the rules. But what have I had to do to earn my place before Jesus? Absolutely nothing. What has he had to do for me? absolutely everything. He gave his his life for me. When we then grab this same word, both in English and Greek, and we carry it back to say, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. What we mean is the church should always be a safe place for women. The the church should always be a place where women get to first and foremost receive. Uh, As the church submits to Christ, we see Christ looking at at the bride without blemish or spot. And well, especially as I look at myself as a member of the church and I say, well, how can I be without blemish or spot? Look at all my sins. How can I not have to earn my place here? The gospel can't just be that free. In all of it, Christ says, no, you are clothed in white robes. You are baptized. Receive. You don't have to make the rules because you actually don't have to earn anything. You don't have to fight anything. I will fight it, it for you. Uh, the, the wonderful gift of, of submission is actually the terrible curse of authority. 
the, the curse of authority is that Christians are actually called to use it sacrificially for the sake of our neighbor. It's the pagan that wants to, to use submissiveness to, to gain power for myself. It is the Christian who looks to authority as Christ had true authority and used it sacrificially to, to serve. Uh, for, for the Son of Man came not to, to uh, be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we look at this word submissiveness, never divorce it from Christ, the cross, and the church, because then it actually becomes, again, a gift. And I think so much of the talk that, that uh, catches us uh, in all of these, these fights about what women can and can't do, it, it always gets dis- divorced from, well, Jesus. That, that's a bad place for Christians to start. Right. We, we need to keep this all connected to Jesus. And I appreciate the way that it's not about power. It is about protection, that that when the church submits to Christ, this is a complete gift from him. And, and that how did he use his authority? He used it sacrificially. And I think that will help us as we continue forward into this text and what else it says about the life within the Christian congregation and the role of women and the place of pastors and all that it says. As we get controversial, we're going to keep it connected to Christ, and that will prevent it from being controversial, but will actually keep it a gift for us. You're listening to Sharper Iron. We're going to be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, October 27th. We're studying 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. We've got Pastor Harrison Goodman with us. He serves at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Goodman, we left off prior to the break with verse 11. We talked about the idea of submissiveness as Paul gives it here. He also brings that same term up in Ephesians 5, and we want to keep this focused on what Christ is doing, the gift that he gives, and that's going to help us as we think through the rest of this text. So the, the rest of verse 11, the first part says, let a woman and learn quietly. How does this play into the verse? I, I think even just the, the little words might be helpful. Uh, Paul is actually imploring that there be a place for women to receive in the church. Let a woman learn. Like, why are you going to come in here and immediately burden them with stuff? Just, just actually set aside a place where women can receive uh, the, the good gifts from God. Uh, and, and then we, we can immediately then deal with the, the challenge to that, that uh, it's hard for women to learn quietly in the churches because men, as women were quiet, took advantage of them. The, 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 this was happening back then too. Like this is not a new sin. It's not that sort of, you know, 1950s misogyny rolled around and then we just twist the, the scriptures around and then from there came women's ordination later. It, it, rather, uh, we're dealing with women's ordination as Paul writes to a pastor, Timothy, because the early church is wrestling with the concept of women's ordination. This isn't new, uh, but, but also uh, because Paul, even now, is telling Timothy to, to challenge women, to, to actually look to God as a source of good, even as they receive from sinful men. This, this is a, a grave challenge, that, that Eve is called to look to her husband, fallen Adam, for good, even though he's still a sinner. That, that women are, are to actually say, I belong in this church, not because I can be the loudest voice, not because I can have the most power, but because this is the place God has promised to work good for me no matter what, even through a sinful man. It's not about power. It's about where salvation is. This, this is where God has promised to give forgiveness of sins. And that's a freeing thing uh, because I have never preached a sermon that will save my soul, but I've been baptized. And the actual gift is that women can receive this too. Uh, if, if this is about who's running the show, that can't save men or women. But Jesus died for all of us. And so this is a question of where salvation is. Women, you don't actually need to earn your salvation through your speaking. But what if we set aside a place where, where you could receive the good gifts from God, where you could learn quietly? And we can't, we can't ignore the word quietly either. Uh, Paul uh, also to the Corinthians talks about this. In 1 Corinthians 14, he says, uh, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak. 
but should be in submission, as the law also says. And again, that, that one's almost even harsher. But the shameful part of this isn't that women talked in church. It's that men didn't care enough about their families to actually speak and, and lead their families in love. Uh, the, the shameful part of, of this isn't uh, that, that women are, are um, talking. The shameful part is that this word submission, well, there's no protection for them here because the men have, have long since abandoned their, their vocations to protect, to, to defend, to, to speak for them. Uh, if this is working the way it's supposed to, the men should be speaking first and foremost for their, the, the women that have been given to them by God as gift, their, their mothers, their, their daughters, their wives. Uh, it, it's only once the women are, are forced out to defend for themselves that they, they must start to speak up for themselves. And, and this is, I mean, even as the world would sort of mock uh, the, the church as, as being full of little old ladies, well, that, that's because the men aren't doing their job. That is shameful. That, that is something that, that today we should be ashamed of, uh, that, that masculinity in the church, uh, not, not, not as the, the world would talk about it, but, but as, as Christ would paint a picture of it, is absent because we are so quick to say, uh, well, ladies, take care of yourselves. We've got more important things to do. There's nothing good there. Uh, again, this word submission, uh, tie it to Christ and, and the church and see that, that Christ would never leave us to fend for ourselves, but he's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Uh, the the text a text like this calls both men and women to repentance the not only women who would usurp a role that is not theirs but for men who would abdicate the role that God has given to them and and where that has taken place that that is in fact shameful and and as you said it it rightly calls us all to repentance and again remember how Paul does start it was just that one verse that talked about the men the clergy lifting holy hands but where that isn't in place look at look at how everything else starts to decay. And as I think you've said previously on this show, Pastor Goodman, sin hurts people. Yes. And, and that's true in this case too, in, in what may seem like a small thing that, that in a, you know, where, where these roles are not received as gift from Christ, that sin hurts people and it hurts people here. Absolutely. Um, we'll, we'll see it uh, later on in this verse uh, where we start to talk about Adam and Eve, that, that, uh, it's called Adam's sin first, even though as, as we're going to talk about this, we see Eve being deceived. Uh, we'll, we'll have to get to that, but there's a, a very important uh, verse that, that is, is very explicit uh, that, that we should tackle first. Certainly. Verse 12 of 1 Timothy 2, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, there's, I suppose, a number of ways you could try to get around this text, Pastor Goodman, but assuming that we are Christians who do not want to get around the text, but believe the text, what is this verse saying? Right. We, we shouldn't be doubting or, or, or trying to rip the scriptures away from, from God. We should actually receive them as a good gift. And the good gift here is that the office of the holy ministry is given to men, that, that the clergy are, are, are men. We, we do not believe in women's ordination. Uh, and again, we can see this as a gift. Uh, if we've held on to everything that we've, we've seen so far, women don't need to earn it. And so it's not about works. Uh, and there I can say some, some wonderful things. Uh, first, I know women who are better theologians than me, and I can learn from them privately. That, that's wonderful. I, I know women who are, are more pious than me, uh, who, who are certainly uh, holier indeed than me. Uh, I, I know women who are more eloquent than me. I certainly know women that are more compassionate than me. Every sort of qualification, I, I, I can think of women that, that God has given me in my life that, that far out, uh, exceed me. And it's my, 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 my job, my gift, uh, my vocation to care for them, to serve them. Uh, Paul does not permit women to publicly teach, to to exercise the office of the holy ministry over men. Um, that, that, that doesn't mean that women can't talk in the church or, or teach in, in Sunday school or, or, or work in this way, or even that women cannot uh, address men inside of the church uh, privately. Uh, Priscilla uh, 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 corrects Apollos in, in the book of Acts chapter 18. But this is about the same context as this was given before, that men are lifting up holy hands in public places, in, in the assembly of, of the faithful in the church. Uh, this, is a, this is simply a, a recognition then that, that, well, when we talk about the office of the holy ministry, this is a, a gift given. This is an authority given. And that's distinct from power, which is always taken. Power is always about yourself. Power is then always taken because it, it's for yourself. Can I do this against my neighbor or from my neighbor? Can I take this? Authority, again, go back to, to Christ and the cross as he serves an authority over the church which submits to him. Authority is always done inside a vocation for the sake of neighbor. Authority is to sacrifice. Then when we talk about the office of the ministry, I can say there's nothing that I do 
inside of, of the office of the holy ministry that a woman would be incapable of. But it's very clear that God doesn't want to subject her to this. And then you can actually start to talk about the burdens that, that we have been given to, to carry, uh, the, the, the sins that, that we, we witness and uh, endure, the, the, the things that, that nobody ever trained us for in seminary, but, but we, we've had to do. Um, it's not that women can't hack it either, but it's the same way we raise our kids. I, I want my kids to be able to handle anything this world can, can throw at them, and I will raise them uh, with, with, uh, with the scriptures to be warriors of their faith. But I also pray, God, they don't have to deal with it. <laughs> I hope they can actually just receive it as a gift. What if we, we try to, to protect the gifts given to us in our neighbor instead of simply saying, take power and, and use it for yourself? They would never need to if the men had not first done their job and, and worked. It's not a question of capability, but, but should they have to bear the burdens? And, and God in his grace gives that burden to one, but not to the other. He, he does not give the office of the holy ministry to women. He gives it to some men, and we should qualify it that way, Paul's going to lay out the qualifications for those men who had received the office in the very next chapter. So it's not given to all men, it's given to some men, those whom he calls and who he qualifies. So, but but Pastor Goodman, when you look at the state of Christianity, and I think this is is not just true in the United States of America, across the world, you do see some Christian denominations who will ordain women into the pastoral office, it's problematic. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, I, I mean, not just uh, because you can then start to, to look at the numbers of their seminary enrollment and say, it's not just that they're allowing women in, it's that the men have pretty well given up the idea that they would be pastors in these, these churches, that the, the, the seminaries that are training up women are training almost exclusively women. Uh, but it's problematic in that uh, our, our hope as clergy is to say that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. It is to say that you can trust his word. It's problematic because um, I had a seminary professor who once told me he didn't understand women's ordination. And we all kind of looked at him like, well, it, I, I know you're getting up there in age, sir, but I'm, I'm sure you've been, uh, you've been exposed to this. It's because women want to, to pre-. and he goes, no, I don't understand women's ordination. I, I don't understand why a woman would want to devote her whole life to preaching out of a book that specifically tells her not to. Um, and, and he said it so in jest, and it wasn't, again, to diminish women, but it, but it, it was to, to say, like, look, if, if you're opening Gambit into you should believe this book is, but not where I find my place to speak about this book, it's already taking away from Jesus. And the whole point of the office of the Holy Ministry is to point away from the man, man, and to the Lord. If you have to first make room for yourself inside of the office of the Holy Ministry, you're already pulling, pointing away from the Lord. If you have to, to start by diminishing the Lord's word, by saying this part isn't true, you're already taking away from the Lord. The most wonderful part about the office of the Holy Ministry is that they dress me up like the table. Uh, they, they dress me up just like the altar every Sunday. Uh, they, they, make, they put me in, in the same white and, and then color, uh, right now green. Uh, and they, they say, you, you serve us as that table serves us by holding up the Lord's gifts. It, this is not about you. This is about Jesus given through this mean. Uh, we, we, we want this, this pure... Uh, pure and unadulterated uh, line back to Christ uh, that, that actually lets us say, when we say Jesus rose from the dead, that's hard enough to believe already. In fact, I could not believe it by my own reason or strength, but for the Holy Spirit. We hold to the word of God as being true because when we start to hold to it as not being true, well, if, if I have a hard time believing that women shouldn't be protected in the church, I'm going to have a real hard time believing that a dead guy stopped being dead. You know what I mean? <laughs> Right. So, I mean, the the matter of women's ordination, and this is, you know, when, when someone comes into the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, you know, you get a visitor, they're not a member of Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, and, and this matter of women's ordination is one of those differences that is noticed right away. But from what you're saying, it, it sounds like the matter of women's ordination is the surface issue, and there's really a much deeper symptom going on where one church ordains women and another church doesn't. There's a much bigger difference there that really goes to the heart of the faith as to who Jesus is. Can we believe him? Can we trust his word? Right. And, and even then to, to um, oddly enough, to, to completely flip the whole notion on its head of what, what uh, this femininity and feminism is. Uh, as Paul talks about himself, he talks about himself as a slave for Christ. Hmm. This is about whether or not we see women as gifts to the church or as slaves of the church. I, I choose to see them as God reveals them as gifts of the church. So it, it, when we 
and and this is maybe the way that the world looked. And you know, we used the word we talked about the word submissive earlier, and and now we're saying the church should not ordain women. The office of the pastoral ministry is not given to women. The world looks at us and says, "You hate women. You're misogynist." I think you used that word earlier, mm-hmm. but but you're saying no. In fact, it is the exact opposite to give to women something that God has not given to them is actually to hate them rather than to show the love that it's like, we think we can be more loving than God is. That's a dangerous path considering he died on the cross for us. Uh, but it, it also perverts the whole order of creation. Uh, and I, by order of creation, I don't just mean men came first so they're in charge. I mean that as God shaped his creation in the book of Genesis, the former always serves the latter. It, it, it's it's uh, that, that he sets aside time and uh, sets aside land that it would serve animals and give them a place so that there could be birds of the air and fish of the sea and animals on the ground. And he gives the animals then to, to man that they would serve him in, in their various ways. And then he makes man. And then he says there should be a helpmate. There, there should be a, a, a bride. Uh, and again, Ephesians 5, as, as Christ is to the church, there should be a place that man would serve somebody else. That the reason that, that there was no helpmate found suitable for, for Adam uh, it isn't just that, that some were animals. It's that everything inside of creation thus far was to serve Adam. And Adam was given a, a place where he should serve someone else. And so God made for him a, a bride, a, a woman, a gift. Uh, the, the whole point of this isn't who's more powerful or who is smarter or any such thing. Rather, it, it's to say, look, look and see somebody as a gift to yourself. Uh, look and see, see a, a vocation as a place where, where you can begin to see the glimpse that, of the glory of the love that God has for you as he came into this creation again, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah, we need to always come back to that truth to see it through those eyes first and foremost, lest we do make it about power in which we can take and take rather than about the gift that God has given to us. Now, you mentioned the order of creation, and and Paul starts talking about creation as he continues on. In verses 13 and 14, he brings up Adam and Eve. He says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So in those verses, he, he brings up two things. First, that Adam was first and then Eve was, was created. And you've begun to address that already. I think we can say a little bit more. And then he also brings up the matter of, of who sinned first or who was deceived. It says the woman was deceived. She became a transgressor. Adam was not. We need to talk a little bit more, I think, about the order in verse 13 and, and then bring up Verse 14, this matter of who was deceived, what's going on in these verses, Pastor Goodman? Right. So uh, we said the former always serves the latter. There were places where Adam was given to serve his bride, Eve. He was to be her pastor. He was to teach her about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He, he was to love her and protect her. He, he was to, to simply sing hymns to her, even as he starts doing right away. Um, it, it says Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And that doesn't mean Adam is smarter. It actually means he understood full well what was going on. And also, if you reread Genesis, where was he as Eve was eating it? She ate and then she turned and gave some to him and he ate. He, he knew what was going to happen and he used her as a guinea pig. He stopped standing in front of her. He stopped being a place of protection for her. He, he then turned her into a test subject. He stepped aside and let her fall. This is Adam's sin. Even as Paul would talk about this through the rest of the scripture, he doesn't call it Eve's sin. He calls it Adam's sin through one man came death. Not not one human, not one female, but one man. Uh, it, it was Adam's sin uh, because he, he he gave his wife into death so that he could see what happens. Uh, she she became a transgressor, but, but only because, well, Adam was not deceived. He knew full well what was going on. Um, again, this, when we talk about the, the role of men and women in the church, it, it's so quick that, that especially men, are, are to talk about this in terms of capability. Uh, Adam came first, and so he's smarter. No, he, he just didn't teach her. Like, uh, if he taught her, she would know. This was before the fall, and, and both of them were smarter than we would ever be, even with our iPhones. But Adam allowed his wife to be deceived. Hmm. There's just no way so, so verse, And I think that's a very helpful thing to bring out, which means that verse 14 is not saying that the reason women are not given the pastoral office is because it's a punishment. It's not some sort of a punishment that, oh, look, Eve sinned first, and that's why women can't be pastors. That's no, not what it's saying. Not at all. It, it's saying that the whole role of creation was that men should be serving women. And the office of the ministry is, again, not about being served, but serving. 
and, and so here, men are actually called to do the same thing that they were called to do before the fall. This isn't about punishment. This is simply a continuation of what was. Um, look, bad things happened when men stopped serving women and set them out on their own. Don't repeat that. Hmm. Right. People people get hurt. This uh, you brought. We mentioned this Sin earlier. People stuff. get hurt. Yeah. Sin breaks stuff, and, and the same is true with with women's ordination. And I think that that can be difficult for us today when we do see. I mean, I think of you know here in Smithville, which isn't a terribly huge town, but at least two of the larger congregations within the town have women who occupy that office. And and we look at that like, well, what what's the harm, Pastor? Look at the harm that happened there in First Timothy two fourteen when when Adam failed in his role that God had given. That same harm can and still happen today. Right. What what you have inside of this when it becomes a discussion of who can and can't. First, like we we can acknowledge then there are places where women are are eloquent. There are places where women know theology, and that's good and should be upheld. The question is, can I say this isn't actually a church for me if there's a man in the pulpit? Because if, if that's the truth, then what I'm saying is I don't believe that God has given me men to protect me as a woman. And for that matter, can I say, you know, uh, I, I believe that that it, it's every person for themselves. And so be a, a woman or a man in the pulpit is fine by me because I have no uh, I have no command from God to actually love my neighbor in specific ways. Both are wrong. Uh, as a man, I, I'm actually supposed to then call I'm called to see women as a good gift from God to be upheld and praised and and loved and served. And not because they can't take care of themselves. God, they're smarter than us. Look at this. Uh, I mean, you have a wife. You know this. They're smarter than us. But at the same time, that's never been in question. It's simply you should be caring for, not not you should be making them serve. Right. What, What has God given to do? And then again, how does that connect me back to what has God done for me in Christ and, and to keep our eyes focused there? And perhaps that focus will also help us in verse 15, which is one of the, can I say, stranger statements that Paul makes? It, we, read, we read this and I'll read it again. Like, yeah. Wait a second, Paul, what? Paul writes, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. She will be saved through childbearing. What does that mean? Right. It, it, I mean, if you were just going to read that completely out of context, it, it, it <laughs> well, I mean, maybe we should just start. Like, maybe you shouldn't contradict the entirety of the rest of the scriptures for a fraction of one verse. Uh, I'm just putting that out there. Maybe the, the whole rest of the scriptures, which attest to Christ on the cross saving sinners, should not be set aside so that I can say if women have lots of babies, they will earn their own salvation. Um, rather, we, we can say, I, I mean, first, the, the, the sort of uh, allusion to it, there is one child born of a woman who saved us all, but, but more, we can uh, take the gift of motherhood and say, what if God valued this vocation more than the rest of the world? Uh, because it wasn't just now. That, that sort of looks down upon motherhood as a, a, a good vocation. Uh, when we talk about, you know, where women find their, their uh, role in society, it's never about motherhood. This is, in fact, one of the most belittling vocations somebody can, can receive because it pulls you away from the really important stuff, like, I don't know, earning money or, or you know, being powerful or, or being famous or any of these things. Uh, the, the world mocks and belittles the vocation of motherhood. But here, even here, because this was happening back then too, and again, this is why we know these things are, are true, because these aren't new problems or, and new uh, ideas that we've come across. They were happening back then so badly that Paul had to write Timothy a letter and saying, hey, as a pastor, watch out for this stuff. Paul is saying, look, women, you are so valuable and precious that even though the world would mock your vocation, you are saved inside of it. You don't need to do something extra to be saved. You don't need to earn money to be saved. You don't need to have power to be saved. Even in a vocation that the world would mock and belittle and and look down upon, God wants to work salvation for you. Rather than trying to abandon the, the place where, where God has given you to, to love and to serve and to do good works, rejoice, continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control, recognizing that this is where God is at work. And then we can say, inside of your vocation, you earn salvation, not in addition to vocation, you earn salvation. Uh, inside of salvation, or inside of vocation, you are given salvation. That, that means that I am not more saved because I'm a pastor, and my wife is not less saved because she's a woman unless she has lots of babies. Rather, 
I am saved because Jesus died on the cross for me so that I am free to preach the gospel. And my wife uh, is saved because Jesus died on the cross for her. And while she works, she is saved because Jesus died on the cross for her. And as a mother, she is saved because Jesus died on the cross for her. And as a wife, she is saved because Jesus died on the cross for her. Paul is offering comfort to women who are struggling to find their worth in society, which again, is not a new problem. What he's promising is that you are not hindered in salvation by what you are going through, by that the pains of childbirth and child rearing that came from the fall that we just talked about, uh, or, or what society would say about you as you you uh, live inside of your family as God has given it. Uh, in other words, uh, oh, she will be saved through childbearing is not causal. It is not meritorious. Childbirth is not a means of grace. Rather, it's simply saying God wants even the most despised vocation like motherhood to be saved. Hmm. All right. Yeah, and and I think that that connects back to where you started the conversation concerning women in verse nine. That you know, the value of of the women is not like not the body parts, right? So the the modesty plays into that here. Even motherhood, which seems like a very despised vocation, God wants mothers saved, and He provides for that in His Son Jesus Christ. But that takes us back to yesterday's text that there is one God, one mediator, mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's where salvation is given, and it is given to mothers, mothers whom God values and loves. Pastor Goodman, we've got about two minutes here on the morning. Help us summarize this text, point us back to Jesus yet again. Right. So let's start with Jesus and, and, and finish with Jesus. Uh, that if we are going to be dealing with each other uh, as men relate to women, uh, we are given a wonderful gift that, that we can actually start to see how Christ, the bridegroom, relates to the bride, his his church. We can see that that um, in the fall, Adam was given Eve as a gift, uh, not not as a as a, as a slave, not as a tool, not not as as um, a, a, a burden, but but as as somebody to love and to serve. In the fall, Adam and Eve were set against each other. Uh, Adam abandoned Eve, and she started having to try to take care of herself. And this went poorly for Eve, and it went poorly for Adam. As we enter the office of the holy ministry, we see this this all the more uh, struggling today, men against women, women uh, against men. Uh, as Paul ta- directs Timothy towards this, we can very clearly say from the word of God, uh, women are not given the office of the holy ministry. But this isn't about what they can and can't do. This is about what they should be subjected to. The church should always be a place where women can receive. Never should the church be a place where women feel like they have to earn their keep by what they are wearing, by what they are doing, by anything else uh, than Christ, which was given to them in the waters of their baptism. When we talk about how men relate to, to women, uh, men are always to, to love women by, by sacrifice, uh, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As we talk about the office of the Holy Ministry, set aside what, what people can and can't do. Just, just let it let it all fall away and recognize that, that the office of the Holy Ministry isn't about the man at all, but about Christ being given to sinners in word and in sacrament. Uh, and, and that means that the man is not more valuable by being a pastor. Christ is valuable to men and to women. And the woman is not less valuable because she, she uh, serves in different vocations. But again, rather, Christ is valuable. Uh, when, when we see this uh, at work, we can actually say there's a place for women in the church. And it should never be belittled because God put them there and God gave them value. And nothing needs to be added to that. What he says is, is sufficient and precious and beautiful actually is. Pastor Harrison Goodman is the pastor at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us this morning with 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Pastor Goodman, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.